that will leave you on the edge of your seat. Do you believe that dreams can come true? It's the show where anything can and will happen. Someone needs to call 911 because you just stole the show. Canvas Got Talent. All new Tuesdays at 8, 7 central on City TV or stream anytime on the City TV app or CityTV.com. Looking for unmatched design and quality? Andrew Sherritt Limited proudly offers American Standard products. Save water with the EPA WaterSense Certified Cadet Pro Toilet with ADA-compliant and chair height versions. This trades-only toilet boasts metal parts, an ever-clean antimicrobial surface, and each flush scrubs the bowl with power wash. Andrew Sherritt Limited, family and employee-owned, with 31 locations across Western Canada. For heating, plumbing, HVAC, or irrigation supplies, visit a local branch or order at Sherritt.com. Yo, Elliot, we doing this podcast or what? This is the second. What's the holdup? The Canucks just traded Pedersen and Hughes. What? You're kidding me. Of course. I'm just putting in a food order. Hang on. Oof. I'll get the hook out of my mouth. That's what I have to put up with on the 32 Thoughts podcast. 32 Thoughts. The podcast is brought to you by the first ever GMC AT4 lineup. Engineered with off-road capabilities, signature bolt styling, and unique AT4 interior to match. Visit gmccanada.ca to see the GMC AT4 lineup today. Boyd Auto Body and Glass is in your neighborhood, and they are here to help. Boyd has over 30 years' experience, and they guarantee their work as long as you own your vehicle. When you want it done right, bring it to Boyd. Visit BoydAutoBody.com for your nearest location. CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Listen live on HD Radio, 96.9 FM, HD Channel 3. Hour number two of Canucks Central. This hour is presented by Andrew Sherritt Limited, your plumbing and heating wholesaler. A proud family-owned BC company helping local business since 1892. If you missed hour one, Kevin Woodley uh, with his take on the Vegas Golden Knights goaltending situation and how Thatcher Demko could be the Canucks ace in the hole during this playoff chase that they currently find themselves in. I took a little bit of heat last night for my uh, final tweet on the game set. As I said, uh, Canucks needed that one in regulation. Mm-hmm. But uh, judging by the celebration, you could tell how much the players still believe in the mm-hmm. chase that they are in. Am I wrong to say that the Canucks really needed that one in regulation last night? No, you're not wrong in saying that because they did need it in regulation because they have to still make up ground. But it doesn't on mean... Vegas, by the way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now they still have to ultimately make up ground on LA and Dallas, and they didn't do that because those teams won. So you still have to get the two points. And I mean, even if they got the extra point, how much more likely does it make them to make the playoffs? Slightly, but not significantly. It's still like, yeah. they still need help. It's been like this. They they have to essentially they win either out. Need, have to win out or or get help. And even if you win out, I mean, but I do believe if you win out, you'll definitely get past L.A. Because L.A. can get to a max 101 points. And if you beat L.A. in regulation, they yeah. can only get to 99. They'll probably drop another point somewhere. So you'll you'll beat L.A. with 98. If you get to 98 points and don't make the playoffs, I mean, that's, 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 that's hard luck. 
But it could happen. Yeah. Because Dallas is on pace for like 99, 100 points. Vegas can get to that level. Yeah. But Vegas, with how bad their goaltending is, and their schedule's not, not super easy. No. They have some tough games coming up. What if Vegas goes 500 the rest of the way? But even so, you still have to win. Like It, it hasn't changed the equation as far as what the Canucks have to do. They still have to win seven. They have to win out or, or maybe lose one. Yeah. And that's been the, the discussion for the past four, four, five, six games now that they got to go 12 and one. They got to go, you know, you know, 11 and one. Or <laughs> That's kind of what it's been. Yeah. Like they, they've kind of just made it, made it, it's kind of gone through. They still have to do essentially that. They, they've, they've won four in a row and they've got eight more games remaining. So if they win out, it would be a total 12 game win streak. We know how rare those are around the National Hockey League. So don't have to get into that too much. You know, they've got a back-to-back. They've got to go to Minnesota for three and four nights next week. You know, that's that's going to be tough. Still playing Calgary, and we know the way Daryl Sutter has coached that team all year long. There ain't going to be no let-up on that Calgary Flames team at any point, no matter how home and cooled out they are for a playoff race or for a playoff position or whatever seed that they are trying to lock down. So, it, look, it's going to be an incredibly – difficult situation for the Canucks the remaining games they've done such an incredible job to keep this chase alive but yes winning in regulation last night would have helped a little bit more it would have helped but look at it this way Vegas can get to 101 points max as well yeah and if had they not picked up the point the max they could have got was 100 points yeah which meant the Canucks were still had a, had a two-point gap. If they max out, they're at 98. Vegas, if they max out, is 100 points at that point. And Vegas is going to have a tiebreaker over the Canucks. This is the point I'm making. No matter how you slice it, they still had to get two more losses. Yeah. So even if they even if they won a regulation, one more loss would just get you even, and that still would not give you the tiebreaker. So no matter how you slice it, they had to get the extra point. So so that's why I don't think it changes things too dramatically against Vegas because you still have to they, you still need them to lose two more games and that hasn't changed two or more games. And uh, you know for LA, I, I do feel like LA is going to fall out. I do. It just kind of seems like I know that they won the other night. But they played Colorado feel, tonight. I kind of feel like they're going to fall out. It just kind of feels that way. Dowdy's gone now, too, for the rest of the season and the playoffs. They've had other injuries. They've kind of been on a bit of a swoon here, and they're a young team. They have the makings of falling out. It's just, can you beat Vegas to that spot? Yeah, and that's that's where the Canucks... We've talked about this so much, but, you know, any game they lose now is, is not the... It, it will be uh, the, the crushing blow or the official moment that they lost their chance at the playoffs, but there were other moments earlier in the season mm-hmm. and certainly the way they started this year that, that affected it. And I kind of have this this feeling of I am no longer going to be the it's early guy, you know? Next year? Yeah. So like, no, it's like, it's like, it's like you got to win! <laughs> must win game five! Yeah. <laughs> Every game is must win from here. Remember last year they didn't beat Buffalo on the road? They missed the playoffs by two points. Yeah. yeah, lose the first three games of the season, game four. This is must win. You can't 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 say it's early anymore. Yeah. Okay. Did you not remember what happened last year? We know how the early season situation dug themselves into just a massive, like a cavernous mm. hole that has been so hard to dig out of. Even to a point where the Canucks are a top ten team since Boudreaux took over. And they are still very much 
with very slim chances to make to make the playoffs. And I look at it in the greater context for the NHL and how every year we get to this time of year and people start asking about the playoff format and should it be three points for a win and two for a, a regular three points for a regulation win, two points for an overtime win and mm-hmm. one point uh, for the loser in overtime or shootout. Um, if you were to do the math on those standings, the Canucks would still be on the outside looking in, you know, uh, the three point thing, like it sounds great in theory, and I do hate the fact that the NHL, you know, magically adds a point to the equation once a game hits overtime. But three points for a regulation win wouldn't change the standings as much as people think. If you're a great team, if you're a good team, you make yeah. the playoffs. That's yep. not going to determine you making the playoffs or not. And if you're not good enough to make the playoffs over 82 games, it wasn't your year. I don't feel sorry for teams that missed the playoffs after 82 games. Yeah. It's 82 games. Yeah. And yeah, sometimes injuries happen, but that's that's life. That's uh, life in pro sports. Those things happen. But if, but if you miss the playoffs, it's not because you were super unlucky or anything. You have 82 games to be one of the top eight teams in your conference. I am all for expanding the playoff field and not to make it, you know adding to you know four extra teams and adding more rounds i i simply mean by wild cards whether it's a one game playoff like i'm all for having a ninth seed to play the eighth seed or perhaps even going to 10 and then having the seventh seed play the the 10th seed and then the eighth seed play the ninth seed in like a best of three or even a one game playoff like i'm all for things like that uh for instance in the you post-season. see the attention on the NBA last yeah. night. I mean, it's it's pretty clear it would be a hit. Yeah, and and I, and I and I do feel for teams that maybe do get in over eighty two games. Now you got to play, you know, a couple of games to get in or, in or not. But if you add those, say, three playoff games yeah. to each to conference, each conference, yeah, you're gonna have some pretty exciting. You have a pretty exciting week leading into the postseason. I, I get that like it, it's not exactly the best scenario this year for the Eastern Conference because you do have eight clear-cut teams that are uh, better, you know, um, at the same time. How rare is that, mm-hmm. you know? Usually, once you get past the top three, maybe four teams in a conference, uh, there's there's a, starts to see a drop-off. But the Eastern Conference is just a totally different animal this year, uh, we'll get more into that uh, as the show goes on. But uh, we welcome in our next guest, friend of the show, fourth period Canucks insider. It's Irfan Gafar. What's happening, Irf? What's going on, fellas? How are we? Uh we're doing we're doing all right. We're doing all Sad, right. Are you sad? Are you swearing in anyone's cubicle today? No. Are you didn't see the Baker Mayfield quote? No, I I, I did. Um, but <laughs> which um... one? Yeah, I mean, we'll talk about it maybe later, overrated, underrated. Um, I mean, Baker needs to understand that it's a business. And just because they didn't hold your hand and didn't call you every two seconds to tell you how their conversations with Deshaun Watson are going doesn't mean you were hard done by. They told you they're going to look for another quarterback. They said they're going to go after Deshaun Watson. Yeah, they didn't call you when they made the trip to go see Deshaun. But at that point, they already told you what you need to know. Stop being such a baby. Earth, if you could see the way Sat's demeanor changed as soon as you mentioned Baker Mayfield. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> he was, like, smiling. He's feeling good. Jays are up 3 nothing. He's having a blast. Then you mention Baker Mayfield. Just goes stone face. <laughs> it's game five of 162. Let's just slow down here. Too. Hey, man. You know what? As I just said minutes ago, 
after this Canucks season, I'm never I'm never saying it's early ever again. Exactly. Because <laughs> it's not early anymore. It, it, it's never too early to start winning games, uh, as, as the Canucks are finding out, given how good they've been under Boudreaux and still on the outside of the playoffs looking in. But uh, I want to get your uh, your update on Brock Besser. You just tweeted out about 10 minutes ago, at uh, Irv Gaffar on Twitter. Uh, what's uh, what's the latest with Brock Besser's injury? So he met with a specialist over Zoom, like I mentioned. Um, not going to need surgery. I think that's a good sign for, for both parties, obviously. Then you can get to rehab yourself if you don't come back and play this season. Um, but the plan is for him to try and come back. I, I can't see a situation where he plays tomorrow. We'll see how the rest of this week goes. Monday's probably a stretch, but late next week is it could be a positive sign for, for Brock to come back. And, and it's something that, you know, he's obviously bugging him a little bit. He can't put a lot of pressure on it, but let's just uh, wait and see kind of what happens here. I think the no surgery thing is obviously the biggest one because mm-hmm. he didn't want it. And I guess obviously the team wouldn't want it as well. But um, yeah, so that's basically the latest there. All right. Is there maybe a concern, and maybe we'll kind of look into this in the off season that after the you know no surgery no surgery now but it's something that you may have to do in the offseason potentially i don't think so i i think i really do believe if surgery was required they would have done it mm-hmm. and they they would have just said shut them down and there's there's really no need for it now look most athletes and you you see your team when they're in a run like the canucks are in right now probably do want to come back and that's kind of what brock's mo is right now where he does want to come back and try and help this team you know try and push for a playoff spot but they're gonna they're gonna wait they're gonna take it easy with him and, and once he's ready to go and, and able to play it at, at full tilt then then he's gonna go it's kind of been the uh, unfortunate part of Brock's career just a lot of injuries coming at very inopportune moments for yeah. him personally obviously uh, injuries are never great but it just it, they seem to happen at such terrible times even go back to but, the, the start of this season with the groin injury yeah, I mean, it's funny because you look at it, his rookie season, he had 29 goals and he could have got 30 that year and he yeah. got hurt. And this season, he's got 19 right now. If he doesn't come back, that's <laughs> another 20-goal season, right? So, and like we always talk about, Chat and, and then, you know, 20 and 30 goal scores get paid in this league. Yep. So, it, it's an interesting one. And, and, and I do know that Brock definitely does want to come back. But yes, the injuries, you know, have, have harped him a little bit. But um, Brock Besser playing on the wing is probably a lot better than Kyle Burroughs mm-hmm. or Brad Hunt. So... So I don't care if he's not as healthy as people want. It's definitely a better option. Yeah, and, and I am really curious, curious as we all are, to see what happens this offseason, and especially around Besser. We, we, we talked about this a little bit before, but I, I don't think they ever came as close to trading Besser as some people maybe think they did. Or I don't, I don't even think they had him out there or tried to trade him as much as people thought they did. So this notion that the team is quick to move off of him, I'm not so sure that's necessarily true. I mean, ultimately, hey, we'll see what happens this offseason. Anything can happen. But... I don't get the sense this team was trying to say actively trade him earlier this season. No, I, but I but I do think that the general manager was doing his job at listening to of phone course. calls. No, yes. they weren't they weren't out actively mm-hmm. saying, "Hey, you guys want Brock? What's the best you're going to give to us?" If someone called and and they they fielded that call and there was an offer, then obviously you know the Canucks would have taken that seriously. But I don't think that there was. I agree with you around the trade deadline and and in that time we obviously heard his name and we saw it near the top of trade board list, but. I didn't really think that, you know, the week of or the days of leading up to the trade deadline or even on the trade deadline day that there was a chance he was moving. Irfan Gaffar, our guest. Uh, again, to check out uh, his uh, update on uh, Brock Fester, check out at Irf Gaffar on, on Twitter. 
So, uh, Elias Pettersson right now, um, we talked so much uh, early on in the season, what's happening to this guy, who is he, where did his talent go, um, it, it's taken a while, but post-All-Star break, he's on a 110-point pace and is, is finally looking like the guy everybody was so excited about after his first two breakout years. Looking like a superstar? <laughs> Something like that, yes. Yeah, well, I mean, look, Elias Pettersson's an elite talent. Mm-hmm. in this league and 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 i think that we can all agree on that you know superstardom is is a different plateau that you get to and, and you earn that right given as a hockey player i think he can get there he's playing like it right now he's leading his team to victories he's taking games over he's grabbing the game by its neck he's doing a lot of the things that you know you want from your superstar players and, and i think that yes he probably did hear some of the conversation that was going on around him early in the season and that pissed him off and as it should um, you know, and he definitely wasn't happy about the way that he played and, and, and his game and, and things like that. So he worked on it. He got hurt, obviously the wrist injury. And then there was a little bit of a setback. I, I do believe that. And, and then now, you know, you look at him now and he's ready to go. And, and, mm. he's, and he's playing like that player that they drafted so highly and, and speak so highly of. And, and the Canucks need him to be that every single night if they're going to want to make a chance or have a chance to try and push for the postseason here. We talked a lot about, okay, so what can this organization really learn about this team the rest of the season? And on Pedersen, I mean, we all knew he had he was capable of doing this and he was going to get back to it at some point despite all the struggles early, but they still hadn't seen it. Now they're seeing it. Does it change at all how they approach the offseason? And when you look at, for instance, talking to JT Miller, and they knew how important JT was to this team, especially earlier this year where nobody else was you know doing stuff and he's you know one of the top scorers in the league. Does it change the equation as far as how strongly they want to keep JT when they see Pedersen do these things? Do they feel like, okay, we can be a lot more firm on the number we want to hold on to here? Yeah, look, I, I think the biggest evaluation of, of these last you know handful of games or so is, is, is who wants it. Who's got the biggest guts? Who wants to lead this team into the fight? And who wants to you know drag their teammates along and, and be there and, and try and get to that next step or that next level and who's going to take over the game and as of the last you know week and a bit it's been Elias Pedersen it's been JT Miller it's been Bo Horvat it's been Thatcher Demko and, and and even Quinn Hughes is playing really well right now and if that's a sign of of things to come then the organization you have to look at it and say okay these are our core players but JT might need to be a part of this for the future and we need to figure out a way to try and keep this guy because as far as JT goes you know he pulls other teammates with him with the, with his play as well yeah, and you know, lately he's been going through it a little bit, but ha- yeah. hey, that's where uh, Pedersen comes in, and uh, he and, and maybe Alex Chason as well to to, to lead <laughs> the way, right? Kidding aside, though, I was, I'm thinking about uh, Alvin's comment uh, in the province last week that we don't have any star players on this team. And hey, Patterson has had the four-point game against Vegas last week, and then has the big one uh, last night against Vegas. Since those comments, and 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 has really played like a star. But I'm thinking maybe I'm thinking too much into this. But I also kind of feel like the new front office almost wants that to be part of the culture uh, here. Maybe moving forward, that now there there is no star players here, and everybody is going to get treated the same everybody needs to work their you know what's off because all Alvin and 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 others have seemingly talked about is needing to set a new culture have better practice habits all of these things to the point where 
I feel like it was kind of a message like, hey, your bleep don't stink. Let's all start just playing like uh, like we're, we're, we're pulling together. Yeah, I mean, and when you look at the core of this group, in all reality, like there aren't any first, second, or third overall draft picks. Like, there, you know, like, I mean, yeah. Elias Pettersson obviously was a high draft pick. Bo Horvat was in the top 10, and, you know, you, Quinn Hughes as well, and then you see Brock Wester and where, where they got him. But there isn't that, like, one, two, or three where you know this guy's going to be the face of your franchise. And now the face of this franchise is five guys, maybe even, maybe even six, right? And, and I think that that's what, that this, that's what this um, management group wants to build and wants to instill in this team is we're going to do it with everyone. And I agree with you. Yeah, there may not be a superstar or a superstar paycheck. No one's making 10 million bucks here a season. No one's making 11. It's just not going to happen. But it's the collection of players that, you know, all want to go to battle and, and all have that common goal. And like you mentioned before, yes, being treated the same and, and things like that. But it's about, you know, who is going to be there at the end of it and, and drag their teammates in, into the fight. And I keep going back to JT Miller because he's a guy that, that keeps doing it. And, you know, when Elias Pettersson wasn't playing well, who was playing well? It was JT Miller. Yeah. And, you know, when, when Brock Besser wasn't playing well, who was playing well? It was Bo Horvat. And, and it, it, it's, just, it's just a common thing that, that keeps happening. So when you look at, you know, the face and, and what's going to happen in the future with this team, it, it, it really isn't just one or two guys. It, mm-hmm. it is those, when, you were in, when you're in Rogers Arena and look up and see those billboards inside the arena on, on either end, it's the three guys up top, and it's the other three guys on the other side. Well, and the, the, one of the other guys that hasn't been talked about as much as far as a contract goes, but is this in the same exact boat as JT Miller, and that's Bo Horvat. And he's been on an absolute tear recently, too. Another goal against Vegas. He's over 30 now in the season, closing the season super strong and, and having his best goal-scoring year to date. What do you think that does to the contract talks with him? Because we all know he wants to stay, but... You know, that's someone we don't hear as much about, like what the numbers could be, what it looks like, and, you know, what, where's the mindset at as far as how much money you try to, to try to get. Uh, I mean, where does that conversation even begin? Well, it begins with he's your captain, yep. right? And the, he's, you know, and you, you've made a, you made, it a, made a big deal about him being the captain and, you know, the heir apparent to obviously Henrik Sedin and, you know, Bo's, Bo's that guy. And we, we talk so much about, you know, leadership and what types of leadership that he has. And, you know, Bo might lead in different types of ways. Well, right now, Bo's leading in all ways. Bo's leading on the ice, and he's leading off the ice. And, and, and that's what you want from your captain. And obviously, you know, he, he even admitted it a little bit that, you know, maybe sometimes he doesn't say things in the room or things like that, but he lets his play do the talking. And, and right now, when you need your best players to be your best players and your leaders to step up, that's exactly what's happening for this team. Uh, Quinn Hughes, you think he's got more goals in him? I mean, if they're overtime winners like that, where he throws Jack Eichel aside, <laughs> maybe. But I, I like, look, I don't know. Like, I mean, Quinn Hughes is never going to get to you know Roman Yossi numbers. No, I don't think. You you know, not goal wise. No, not goal wise. They're two completely different players. But what he is going to give you is that trust on that back end, night in and night out. And I saw Luke Shen today speaking about. No one really talks about how good his defensive game is, and you know that's something that he's worked on. We all know how well he can play offensively and how creative he can be. And, you know, the, the magic that happens when the puck hits his stick and, and he starts to skate around in circles and things like that. But defensively, I think that when you look at, you know, him playing with, with Luke Shen and his defensive responsibilities and how much better he's gotten, I think that that speaks volumes to his development. Well, and, uh, you know, it's not getting talked about as much, but he could break a Canucks record still for the most points in a single season by a defenseman. 
Yeah. He's got 56, and 60 is the mark set by Dennis Kearns. So does he get it? Record watches on. Five more points. There's a few records. I mean, look, what was it? Five? How many more games? Eight? Uh, eight more games, and he's five more points to get to 61. 60 is the record. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I'm betting man, I'll say yes. <laughs> he probably leads uh, all defensemen in assists one year, at least for uh, one or two years of his career. Mm-hmm. But the goals factor—we um, talked about it earlier. Can he get to maybe twelve or fifteen one year or a couple of seasons? That—that's maybe where you, you'd like it to go at some point. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Before we let you go, put Coles in. Um, how? What do you make of the improvements and the players buzzing about him as much as they are? Yeah, playing free. I, and, I, and I think that when you, once you start to earn the trust of your head coach and, and, and your teammates, that's when you can start to play your game a lot more. And it took him a little bit of an adjustment period to, to, to get used to the game over here in, in North America. But when you look at him now, I mean, both that he's got probably one of the hardest shots on the team. He's tenacious on the forecheck. He, he's making little plays that are difficult look very, very simple. And for his teammates to you know, have his back kind of and say, okay, this kid's the real deal. I mean, for him, I know he doesn't speak too much English, but it's going to go a long way, right? And, and, and I think that that's the biggest thing is when you're at that such a young age and you're not really sure what's going on in new country and, and new teammates and all sorts of things like that, and, you know, you have your teammates speaking out about you in the media and you see it and you hear it, you know, that, that just gives you a lot more confidence to go out and do what you do. And oh. he's doing it well. Yeah, he's, uh, he's been unbelievable uh, lately. Uh, so... What was what's the what was the total uh, of Tiger Woods watching at the Masters uh, for for your weekend in total? Like over well, ten hours, shot, ten ten whatever, plus hours. Whatever, no, no, whatever shot that was on TV was, was every, watched. Every single one. Shot. I didn't, didn't miss. miss yeah. Wow. Okay. Did you wear a red on Sunday too? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> He was so far gone by then. I was like, "There's no point." <laughs> uh, we'll always have that. O- we'll always other, have that opening than, round. Other than Tiger in red on Sundays, like there aren't many that there aren't many that iconic sports images yeah. where you can say, "Okay, like this is this is one of those wild moments." Like I was just trying to think about it the other day. No, there isn't. Red on Sunday for Tiger is is the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah. Earth, uh, we appreciate the time as always, man. All right, gentlemen, be well. Uh, there he is, Irfan Gafar. Uh, and yeah, I totally forgot. Doug Lister has a record, sixty-three, not sixty. I was looking at Kearns. Yep, sixty. Sixty-three is Lister. I, I still think Hughes can beat it. That's seven points. They've Makes got Arizona harder. tomorrow. Seven points, just to tie it. So can he get eight? I mean, we've seen Hughes go on plenty of point per game stretches in his career. So mm-hmm. can eight he more? Do it? If he didn't get if he didn't get sick for those two, uh, missed those two games due to illness. Yeah, you saw, you heard how he sounded. Not Last great. Night. Yeah, he's you know he's sounding like he he's been <laughs> battling something for a few days. He went through it. Uh, it's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw coming up. A lot of hype around guys like Luke Shen and Alex Chason. To a certain extent, Brad Hunt. All players that came in, veterans on the cheap that have played their role and sometimes exceeded expectations. Certainly for Luke Shen, he's done that all season long. What's the takeaway or the lesson from those signings that have worked out so well for the Vancouver Canucks? We'll dive into that next on Canucks Central. Always love uh, hearing from you, the live listener on Canucks Central. We'll get to a couple of texts on the Dunbar Lumber text line, 650 
650. So many different ways you can listen to the program. Listen live on the Sportsnet app, on your smart speaker, or, uh, of course, on demand anywhere, anytime with uh, the podcast. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, subscribe, leave a review. That way you never miss any moments on Canucks Central. Um, this, um, This text coming in. My friend says you guys are wearing the word culture out. And he says using the word in hockey is insane. What's next? The Canucks are going to start wearing ballet outfits and stop hitting the players? Having the piano drying, (laughs) diring instruments? He says saying culture 100 times in one segment does not make hockey talk smarter. It just makes your lack of hockey insight more vulnerable. As for me... Love the PD talk. That's from Ed. Yeah, I, I just... Oh, sat your uh, microphone is... Uh... The broken microphone? Yeah. I got the broken one again today. Um, so uh, Eddie just got in my ear and said, yeah, nobody uses that except for all the real hockey people. Like, yes. you talk to a hockey executive, they use the word culture. Dude, did people forget Jim Benning and Trevor Linden when they took over? Eddie, what, remember the press conferences? How, how often did those guys use culture? All the time. Yeah. At all times, all, all teams are trying to build their identity, yes. quote-unquote, their culture. Yeah. It's the biggest buzzword as far as team building and team success nowadays in hockey is talking about culture. And, and, and people want to say, okay, what does culture mean? Essentially, culture means is the standards you set as far as preparation, um, how hard you work, but also the standards you set as far as how prepared you are coming into practice, the habits that you have, your details, and players holding each other accountable beyond just the coaches. That's what people say about culture. It goes beyond just having a coach. It's where players understand what they have to do, and they take accountability, and they hold themselves and their teammates accountable when they don't live up to expectations or take care of the details. And when coaches talk about good culture, or GMs talk about good culture, they talk about teams that build an environment when those things happen where players are accountable and they have an ecosystem here's another word that people don't use but i'll throw it in their ecosystem you can look it up but essentially you create an environment where people are accountable and they're working together to be successful and it's not an individual based system where players are on different pages you need a coach to reel them in all the time what 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 do they say about the canucks not being prepared to show up Every single game. It's because yeah. you're not preparing yourself. And where's the accountability coming from? Mm-hmm. Ask Luke Shen about the culture he had in Tampa Bay. Yes. And the details that allowed them to win back-to-back Stanley Cups and how he's comparing what he saw there and what's missing here and what he's trying to teach the group here to just try and get the Canucks to be a playoff team. That's culture yeah. That Shun has learned from a successful team that wants to be applied here in Vancouver with a young team. Uh, there you go. Patrick Alvin talking about the practice habits of one Sidney yes. Crosby and saying, uh, oh, this is different here. <laughs> well, and, you know, what, what people say about Sidney Crosby, and again, like Sidney Crosby, one of the greatest of all time, but the standards they have, in, like the, the level of, of um, intensity in their practices is unmatched for most NHL teams. Yeah. And I'm not saying, you know, um, I'm not saying Al- Alvin, you know, was making this correlation when he said there's a no stars on this team. But what is the one thing about Sidney Crosby? He's never once acted like a star. He doesn't play like a star. He is, and I know he personally hates when people say this, but he's like the greatest grinder in NHL history yeah. because he's so good in literally every single area of the ice. 
And he does that because he's never acted like a star once in his entire career, like his bleep don't stink. And, and I don't know if we can always say that about the Canucks. And then ultimately his superior talent just takes over. Yes. You know, <laughs> and that's what separates him from everyone else. Yeah. Yes. Well, exactly. And and one of the things that, you know, other guys have talked about is on good teams, it's the players that will call you out if you miss an assignment, yeah. if you don't rotate properly, right? Or if you're not, you know, sealing along the walls or if you're not taking the guy in front of the net, you're not boxing a guy out. Is your teammate saying, hey, you know what? Hey, maybe you got away with that in Vancouver, but that ish isn't flying here. We're yeah. trying to win Stanley Cups. So next time you make sure you stand at the blue line and cover for your guy. And the most simplest phrase in hockey culture is details matter. Yep. Because when you don't do it and you're analyzing a game and picking it apart, those are the things that you're looking at and why you're succeeding or why you're failing. It's that simple at times. Yes. Details, details, details. Struck a chord with our man, Fast Eddie Gregory. <laughs> oh, I just think back to a coach that I crossed paths with two years ago, and he implemented it perfectly, and it just gets me excited. Yeah, yeah. I got you, man. You know when you have good culture, and uh, sometimes you don't know when you have bad culture or lack of culture <laughs> or the wrong culture, uh, but when you see the right culture – um, it, it just, you notice, yeah, right. And you, know, you cover any sports team for a long enough time. You kind of see it go through these ebbs and flows and you've seen it here in Vancouver with the Sedines and 10 years ago and everything that they built. And they were always, you know, setting the standard of what it meant to be a Vancouver Canuck and the fitness levels and all of these different types of things. And along the way, they lost it. Yeah. Now they got to get it back. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it also gets set by having success. And, you know, this is where it gets difficult and and it becomes a bit difficult to quantify because how do you set a culture without having success? Because when we ask guys like Yannick Hansen, and we've, we've talked about this with Yannick using the C word, talking about culture. And, and he's mentioned that it's hard to do unless you're winning. Like all, like it's it's like yep. you got to win, and then it becomes a lot easier to do those sort of things. But it's it's also coming. I think it comes back to practice more than anything else. What do we ask Ken Danico when yep. we talk to him? What were the two things that separated Scott Niedermeyer? Practice, practice habits, yeah, and preparation, and preparation. Practice habits and preparation. You talk to professional athletes, like so many of them yeah. come back to the same types of things. Right? And what and what 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 has Boudreaux talked about? Yep. Practice, Practice habits, habits and preparation. preparation. <laughs> <laughs> like it's, you know, it's... And he know. just so happens to have, like, the best winning percentage of any coach in NHL history. During the regular season, of course. I don't want anybody to come at me and be like, yeah, but he stinks in the playoffs. Okay. Um... <laughs> It's oh, yeah. <laughs> was that was that good was was that good a culture analysis yes was that good yeah. culture matters man <laughs> it does uh, and uh, you know the texter's point is like it's uh makes it sound like a non sport like hey every business every organization strives for a better culture right because mm-hmm. good culture breeds success it breeds efficiency it breeds. All of those things. And yes, professional sports organizations are becoming more and more businesslike, much to the uh, dismay of many sports fans. But um, that's you know kind of where it goes hand in hand. Culture ultimately 
breeds success. And a lot of that gets set by your leadership. And when we go back and look at some of the things that, again, we'll reference what Stan Smeal mentioned and what other people in the organization mentioned, how they lost their culture, and your leadership as far as the management are the ones that set it, right? And yeah. the biggest failing, and I've mentioned this before for Benning under his tenure, yeah, we can talk about the salary cap. As far as, you know, hockey decisions go, but a lot of good things he's done too, but definitely the salary cap mismanagement. However, I think the biggest misstep was the overall lack of true leadership throughout the organization from the position to be mm-hmm. able to set those standards and set that type of culture and, and have the type of accountability and communication throughout your organization that sets you up for, that moves you forward and, and helps you out. And yeah, there was also the environment that set, I guess, set at the very top of the organization, which has also changed now with the changes that have happened. So there's more responsibility than simply management. And that's where Francesco himself came out and was on our show and talked about how he has to take responsibility as well for the situation the Canucks have found themselves in the past few years. So that that definitely falls in there. But I'd say the biggest failing, and this is why it goes back to Sam who texted in earlier and said, give Jim Benning credit for where this team's at. Nobody's talking about how great a team Jim Benning is building. It's like, well... Number one, they're not in, and they might be maxed out and still be capped out, so there are a lot of things you got to fix. But go beyond all that. It's that culture and the lack thereof that we just talked about, cultural identity and what you tried to build and not having an environment where people were having real success consistently, well, that falls on leadership. uh, There's a reason why you hear every hockey uh, team, uh, front office talk about that, coaches talk about that. And it's not just a hockey thing. It's uh, an every sport thing. Uh, I like this text. New banner, perspiration and preparation. What was the old slogan about compete? Uh, compete is in our nature. Yes, there it yeah. is. So add perspiration and That's preparation. Per- <laughs> the two that. Ps. The two Ps. Um, so, okay, on, on the bending thought, um, you know, one thing of the last off season that has worked out uh, from the moves that they made wasn't, you know, the Tucker Pullman signing necessarily or the Jason Dickinson trade, but Luke Shen on a two-year deal for very little money. Alex Chason coming in on a PTO and signing for league minimum. Mm-hmm. Brad Hunt has played a pretty big role for this team this year. Kyle Burrows has fit in well as a depth piece as well. So is there a lesson to learn from all of these signings, especially uh, you know Luke Shen and Alex Chason that have really been successes for this team? Yeah, and there are a couple of things here which I really liked about what they did and what kind of helped you out. Number one is the, hey, give a guy a two-year deal at league minimum. It doesn't hurt you, but it's it's an easy way to get a guy to maybe choose you over somebody else and having a little bit of depth and also being a guy that another team, if they ever thought about claiming him, may think twice about because there's another year on the contract. And that does matter even for a guy making league minimum. And if you choose the right guys, hey, even if he's just an AHL guy, that's fine for you. So that's a nice way, of a smart way, I think, of trying to find those guys. And the other is... You're right. When you target those, especially those tween, those tweener guys, and you hit hit on the right guy, like a Burroughs, for instance, who all of a sudden becomes a credible depth player for you. There's value in having that. And if you hit on, a, if you sign a few of those guys every summer, 
You'll probably get one or two of them. But my one question is, Dan, as much as they, they did a good job with it, there also was an immediate need to fill out the AHL team. Yeah. And they had a lot of spots to fill out. And they threw a lot of darts out there, right? A lot of guys signed. Di Giuseppe, right? Dowling mm-hmm. and Dries. And, you know, a bunch of guys they also signed to pretty hefty AHL contracts that haven't played. Stevens, for instance. I mean, go through. I mean, they made a lot of bets and a few worked out. But there were a lot of bets that they made. So the sheer volume of it is probably not going to be possible next season. It, it It's not. But I think that is one of the potential lessons too though is you could take chances on guys in that age range uh, at the money that they've been given and hope that a couple hit on the dartboard right Mm -hmm. and it's not about finding a diamond in the rough necessarily but this was always the argument in that why are you going out and spending real cap dollars significant money on third and fourth liners when you can find these guys mm-hmm. in August of the off season as they they're without a contract and looking to latch on with a team and you can get them for a million bucks at one year or you you can just find more players that way take chances on them and Hope it works out. Because at the end of the day, what are you really asking that player to fill out as a role in your organization? It's not You're not asking them to do a ton. In a lot of these cases, you're like, can you play a fourth-line role for us? Can you yeah. help on the penalty kill? Can you do little things like that um, that lift the floor of our team a little bit? And that is one thing about all of these signings that it's certainly – Help the Canucks, certainly not early in the season, but in the overall, we've seen the impact now so late in the season. All these guys have lifted the mm-hmm. floor of the team, and you even through injuries, the depth hasn't been as porous as it was in some other years. Well, the issue this season really hasn't been the depth not being good enough. The depth's been more than fine. Yeah. It's been, okay... Do you have enough drivers and have have enough of your top-end guys been good enough? And not enough of your top-end guys were good enough consistently this year, and you still need another couple of them. So that's been the shortcoming. But what else can you ask of the depth guys, for instance? Now, Well, the middle of the roster kind of didn't really work out either. Right. And now Dickinson, he's been a guy who struggled. Pullman, obviously. Hamannick then got moved. So there's obviously inefficiencies in those kind of depth guys. But that's also over-expenditures on depth guys. What you should be looking for is that the money you spent on those players in the future— is on guys that actually contribute something offensively for you and are some sort of needle movers. Because if you want guys to fill out depth for you, you, you're right. Here's a template. Sign a bunch yeah. of cheap guys, and you can figure a couple of guys out and not spend too much money and have those guys play decently for you. The other thing that can help them to kind of filter through this and make sure that they're more likely to hit on the right guy is going back to the culture conversation we had earlier, but the identity portion of that culture how do you play? And by identity, I don't just mean like how you envision yourself, but what is your playing style? 
Are you a team that is playing the way the Canucks are now, that's trying to get the puck down low and cycle things and, and, and play that type of style? Do you want to be a team that's more in transition? Do you want it to be a team that does the quick cups or a team that holds on to the puck a bit more? Like Ultimately, what type of style do you want to have? And once you figure out what style you have, it becomes easier for you to identify the types of players that could fit what you're trying to do. And if you target players that fit what you're trying to do, you are more likely to find one or two guys that are successful because you're filtering through a bunch of players and you're filtering out guys that won't be fits and only go for guys that are potential fits. And that's why I think it's so important to figure out what you want to do as a team and what type of team you want to be. Because then when you start going through the bargain bin, it becomes far easier or at least makes it more likely, I should say, for you to find the right guy for you. So um, there's a great book by uh, Mike Lombardi, and he talks about you know working with some of the great coaches in the NFL. And, you know, one of the things that they started to implement uh, when he worked in San Francisco with the draft was never mind, like, looking so much at the players' names and everything mm-hmm. else like that. Like, what's his wingspan, you know? <laughs> uh, how, how big are his hands, you know? Like, just looking at, like, certain traits of what they want in an offensive lineman because they like mm. they, they realize if a guy has these elements to him, he, he's probably going to be able to do the job that we want him to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're, like, eliminating noise and just like, hey, let's look at the raw parts of it. And I'm obviously dumbing it down. It yes. was, it's not as simple yeah, as, as that. But, you know, just looking at certain parts of uh, a player's profile and saying, does this fit what we want? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of you know, that's kind of what every team wants to do. But are there things that Alvin and his front office can really hone in on and say, this is what we need for or what we would like to add to our roster? And then you really shortlist the players that are out there and available yeah. and really start to be able to target the guys that – you need and that you think really help your team because it's it's not just about finding top six players it's not just about finding a third liner or a fourth liner or a top four defenseman it's finding a top four defenseman that fits what you're trying to do and fits your roster a certain way can he is there a natural fit for that type of player on your blue line yeah. Is there a partner that can fit with that player on the blue line? It's not just top four defensemen. It's the top four defensemen that fits what you're trying to do. And when you look at this Canucks team as currently constructed, they have a lot of top six guys and they have top four defensemen, but the fits aren't great. Yeah. And it's a, what, what it seems like looking back at it now is that you added guys that were top four, top six, top you know third line guys, but because you didn't have the, a right plan to blend it in together and you didn't have the right identity built or you weren't aware of what that was, you didn't pick the right guys to fit together. Well, every year the idea changed. Well, And that's what it comes down to. When the idea changes, there's no consistency in yeah. team building. You know, I'll use a soccer reference for this. And despite the fact that Chelsea won the Champions League last year, that's a team that's been built by four or five different managers. Yeah. And it's a very clunky, massive roster. And they have success, but it's really frustrating half the time because they have a bunch of guys that don't fit what they're trying to do, but they try to make the best out of it. But that's what happens mm-hmm. when you bring different guys in for different managers and different ideas, and then you try to make it work all together. And that's kind of what this team is. It's a bit of a mismatch of two or three different visions 
essence of this team, and they're trying to get the best out of it. Well, every year it was something different, right? Uh, oh, we want to be stronger and, and more physical, and then it's, oh, we need more uh, puck moving, we need skill and speed, and then the next season it's like – you can't do that. You can't like change with the, the <laughs> you have to have an ultimate goal of what you want to be and keep striving towards that. Cause it's impossible to build that overnight or in one off season. Mm-hmm. And I think the other part of this too, is when you think about it as a lesson for um, moving forward, like this, this management group, we talked about this a couple of shows ago um, in what the off season looked like. And we agree that there's going to be quite a bit of turnover. But they're not going to be spending big assets to bring players in, Sat. So really honing in on, at least I don't see it that way. I don't think that from a salary cap perspective with free agents, uh, they simply don't have the cap space for that anyways. And also with draft picks. But how do you hone in on those players that you really do want and Mm -hmm. can find players that... You know, like Michael Bunting, right? Like the Leafs very clearly targeted that player and identified him as a Zach Hyman replacement. Yeah. Right? And it's worked out brilliantly Mm because they looked at the elements of his game and were like, He's going to fit what we want to do. He's going to fit exactly what we want to do. And he's coming at a very cheap price. Now, those opportunities don't happen often. And the Leafs weren't the only team that identified Michael Bunting as a potential, you know, uh, guy that wasn't getting an opportunity but does have some talent. Um, but ha- how are you that team that finds guys? Because the Canucks seemingly are always looking at other teams that yeah. have found some really valuable pieces, but they aren't that team that has found those valuable pieces. Not just guys that can fill out the bottom of your roster and raise your floor, but have more of an impact. Who are those real finds? Yeah. And not just the guy that can play a depth role for you, but a guy that can move the needle for you. Yeah. And that's what you have to kind of find. That's part of the equation. We'll see uh, how deep they also wade into the European waters to see mm-hmm. if they can find some players like that. Uh, lots of texts coming in about culture. <laughs> um, the Canucks model this year is the ancient proverb, the quicker you fall behind the more time you have to catch up, Jay and Delta. Um, I I guess. But they still are running out of time to catch all the way up. Um, Prior preparation prevents poor performance. My five Ps. That's from Brandon in Coquitlam. And always appreciate the texts coming in from those listening to Canuck Central. Coming up. It's an overrated or underrated Wednesday. Your chance to get in some uh, topics for us to debate here on the show what's something that's you want us to discuss overrated or underrated that's next on canuck central